Hey, happy Friday. Welcome to your weekend here on the Die Hard Minute, where each and every day, 13 groups of expert podcasters talk about the greatest Christmas movie ever made, the 1988 John McTiernan-directed feature, Die Hard. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of the Airport Minute and the Rocketeer Minute. And I'm Hal Bryan of the world-famous, award-winning, as far as we know, Rocketeer Minute. Yeah. I, I think we, we could give it an award. Yeah, probably Pinewood Derby, I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> Why not? They're, they're really cute little trophies. Uh, right. But anyway, we are here at the end of the week, of our week, here at minute minute 50 already. Wow. And uh, we are still with uh, assorted German people, Hans, Fritz, Carl, uh, <laughs> talking about how to capture... Helmut, Heinrich. Yeah. <laughs> no, Adolf, I'm sure they're Otto. all there. Yeah, there's... Yeah. there's yeah. The, uh, uh, but they're all trying to capture some uh, generally Irish-named guy named John McClane. In a, in a in a world full, filled with uh, fluorescent light bulbs everywhere, right? Fritz is talking to Hans uh, on the walkie-talkie about yes. how to get Carl, <laughs> how, how to how to calm Carl down about killing right. his brother's uh, murderer. And you know they're doing a nice uh, a nicely uh, expository mix of English and German. Yes, here, just sort of switching back and forth. Yeah, quite it, naturally. Almost doing the uh, the cinematic. They're speaking German, but we're hearing it with a we're hearing English with a German accent. Right. They're, obviously, the walkie talkies are equipped with universal translators. So. Right. You know, we were talking yesterday about how uh, McLean is working his way into this uh, this thing that's got to be a ventilation shaft because there's no cables or anything. Right. Uh, but interesting that that uh, Hans and and uh, everybody else are specifically calling it an elevator shaft. So I suppose it it could it be an unfinished elevator shaft. It doesn't even. Mm. It doesn't look big enough for that. Would, in there, wouldn't an unfinished elevator shaft at least have doors? <laughs> One would think so. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to give some credit here. And then when we look at, uh, I don't mean to jump around too much, but we look at second twenty-eight, looking down into the bottomless pit. I, I keep thinking I see a hint of a fan at the bottom, but I th- think that's now nah, that's just the probably a matte painting and yeah. and uh, perspective thing, isn't it? Well, now, yeah, yeah, when you but, watch it in motion, you see it's not a fan. Okay. One of the things I'm thinking about is that they are. Like, even though we're, we're thinking this is a ventilation shaft, or, you know, we know it's a ventilation shaft because of the lack of doors and things like that and all the louvers and stuff, but Carl and Fritz, what they're looking at is the doorway to the catwalk that's over the elevator shaft. Ah, okay. So they, they are, they're sort of a, uh, a couple of steps behind. If yeah. this were a first-person shooter, there may be one or two checkpoints further back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they have to they have to kick off the barking dogs and the uh, and the guy going, you know, good off with it or whatever. <laughs> Guten Tag. <Yeah. So. laughs> uh, um, Wolfenstein. Yeah, uh, good old. This is basically Wolfenstein uh, in three dim- you know, in three dimensional. Although really that is. was three D. I mean, it really is a. Uh, it really is a, a, a first-person shooter in so many ways because yeah. it's 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 one guy uh, against just ridiculously impossible uh, impossible odds who somehow makes it. Th- sorry, spoiler alert! Somehow yeah. makes it through alive. Yeah, and and the and the levels get harder as you go upward. Yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know the whole thing uh, leads to the boss level. Yeah, and uh, and then, and then you have you have guys that you thought that you had gotten rid of that come back. That you didn't realize that you—it's you know, obviously a bug. Exactly. <laughs> like, I killed that guy three levels yeah. ago. Um, you just wish that you know. Could there be some health packs around somewhere for yeah. this poor guy? Yeah, there's not even shoes. A shoe packs would be good. <laughs> a shoe pack. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If this were an EA game, you could. Uh, well, you, you could buy. You, just, you could buy shoes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You just go online, spend twenty bucks, get shoes, have the advantage. 
it'll be easier. There's got to be cheat code somewhere in this. But uh, so so anyway, he, there there is f- for in all intents and purposes, the you know there is an elevator shaft in the way. So let's let's talk a little bit about elevators and where where they come from. Um, besides when you press the button, the door opens. <laughs> right. Well, you know the uh, the first person to uh, design and and kind of adapt an elevator, a mechanical one, uh, using sort of ropes and pulleys was none other than Archimedes. Wow. So it goes back quite a ways. That's, uh, what, 236 B.C. or so. And I guess I, I shouldn't necessarily say mechanical if ropes and pulleys, but uh, um, we saw mechanical elevators or lifts, as they would say, uh, overseas in the 18th century. There was a counterweight lift that uh, Louis XV used so he could go to his uh, chamber in the Palace of Versailles. So you can imagine uh, sort of a box on one side and then cables and pulleys and a big weight on the other side. And who knows if the weight was, you know, rocks or lead or or perhaps just a bunch of servants that you would sort of throw in a counterweight <laughs> box to lift them up. Yes, exactly. Uh, so over the years, uh, um, we started seeing them uh, more and more. London in 1823, a couple of architects built one to just... Uh, just to give a scenic view. So you want to get up high, you can look around and see the sights of London in 1823. The biggest thing, so from 263 or excuse me, 236 BC up to the 1850s, you know, the big question is what do you do if the cable breaks? And right. uh, for that, uh, for that, what, roughly 2000 year period, the answer was you fall and to serious injury or death. But then a guy named uh, Elisha Otis, uh, an American inventor, came along and invented a uh, sort of a safety mechanism so that if the main cable falls, there's still uh, there's, there's a braking system that will prevent you from, from plummeting. And that's what really was the tipping point to, to get them widely adopted uh, worldwide. He, he started a company, the Otis Elevator Company, which is still going strong to this day. The company started in 1853, and they're still, you know, they're worldwide. I think they're part of United Technology, which means, you know, they're, they're sort of the uh, the Beatrice of, uh, of mechanical things these days. Um, and uh, still uh, still out there, still sort of the, the, the big name in, uh, in elevators. One of the things I thought was interesting in digging into this a little bit is that they've developed over the years is through the early 20th century, uh, people were really, really skittish about uh, getting in an elevator without an elevator operator. You know, that they wanted yeah. that person there to move the levers and assure them that everything was okay, because otherwise you sort of get in a box, the door's closed, and you, you hope you're going to the right place and that you'll get there safely. Um, so the fully automatic elevators were around in the early 1900s, but uh, people were still very reticent, uh, reticent about them until... Uh, New York City, 1945. The elevator operators went on strike, and uh, and it didn't really work out so well for them. Well, they said, "Oh yeah, well, try using elevators without us." And everybody said, "Okay," and uh, and they did. And uh, you know that that whole that whole profession End you know, started era. to yeah started to to become extinct. I uh, I used to work for the. Uh for the Acacia Life Insurance Company on uh, on Capitol Hill in uh, Washington D.C., and one of their long-standing traditions was to hire people uh, who might not have uh, high school educations or you know had some kind of a, a background where they couldn't get a, a good job. And their entry program 
uh, even though this was like the 1980s and into the early 1990s, uh, their entry program was that you started as an elevator operator. And really? they, would, they would hire people that, and they had, they, you know, they're fully automated elevators and they, you'd walk in and there'd be this, you know, a young man or woman standing next to the, next to the row of buttons saying floor, please. And you'd say four and they'd hit the four button and you'd nod and they'd nod and <laughs> off you'd go. And it was just, it was a way to start getting into a, into a job. And, uh, I, I thought, I always thought it was fascinating. It was like a, an entirely unnecessary profession, but the, the, uh, right. the business served a, a marvelous way of getting, getting people who would not or normally have a, a nine to fiver in, into the office world. They moved on from there, but yeah, we may be the we were probably the last generation though to see people standing in standing in elevators pressing right, buttons. sort of to to be the interface between you and the uh, and the machine. I do remember the. Sort of. Do you remember the ones with the like the it was like the half circle and they they'd have like a down you know you pull it to it was kind of like oh yeah it was operating like an engine a, room oper- telegraph yeah, yeah exactly you, know, you you'd be all reversed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, all a, a friend of mine at work just came back from uh, uh, from a trip to Europe, and I, I think I want to say it was when she was in France. She uh, shot a video of of an elevator. It's a one person elevator that's constantly running. Um, I, and I'd, I'd never seen seen one of those before. But you know, it's sort of the hybrid of an elevator and an escalator, in that you stand in the open doorway, and and there's just there's. There's no door. There's a yes. series of floors. There's no doors, and you just sort of hop on at the right moment, and then hop off at the right one. I don't know. I, I don't know what happens at the top. I guess you come down upside down, and you have to hang on. Yeah, I I was actually I was in Scotland at a British aerospace facility that had had that, and it is quite terrifying. And there is nothing. And decapitation or losing a foot is quite a possibility. You 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 just kind of step into it, and then as as you get to your floor, you step out, but there is a there is a rising ceiling coming up to you. So I don't think it's ADA compliant. It's it sure doesn't. Uh, it sure um, doesn't seem like it. Um, and apparently, the uh, one name for that is the the Paternoster, which is a R five. Yes, I guess that's yes. what you're saying as you're in yes. it. It's just okay. Paternoster. It's a chain <laughs> elevator, moves continuously. Uh, I'm just doing a little bit of digging here, so forgive me. But I wanted to see what does it really look like at the top. It's, okay. It says when you, re- you get to the final floor, either the top or the bottom, you'll see warning signs. Okay. However, don't worry if you don't. I'm reading here from the from the internet. Contrary to popular belief, the compartment doesn't turn upside down to go around the other side. It just sits in an upright position as it's pulled by a chain to the other side of the elevator shaft. Ah. So it's, okay. uh, it's along the, uh, the X axis rather than so, over the Y axis. Right. During the changeover, the chain is completely exposed. There's nothing stopping little fingers or hair or anything else getting caught in it. But, uh, huh. but otherwise, it's uh, it's okay. Shifting your weight from one position to the other <laughs> may cause an imbalance that stops the elevator. So, ah, so maybe if you are getting crushed against uh, the ceiling, it will uh, change its mind. It, yeah, that very well could be. I, I only wrote it once, and I would I don't think I'd ever do it again just simply for the sheer terror of it all. It's, yeah, see, I think I've got to try it uh, just once. But it's, um, if you were on the, once is enough. you may have been on the People Mover at Tomorrowland. It's similar to that. Oh, sure, yeah. That you just kind of have to. It, it feels like you're you're double dutch uh, jump roping. You just kind right. of like here's your chance. Get on. Everything's closing. You're going to get eaten. So <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of where where you are with those. 
paternosters. I got to remember that. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm sure people can talk about this in our uh, uh, Facebook and social media thing, right. which of course is at the uh, while we're while we're in the middle of all this uh, Facebook at the uh, Die Hard with a Podcast listeners limo. Go look for it. Lots of people are talking, and we're talking about stuff that you're not listening to. So get in there and you know, jump in, exactly. be part of the conversation. Okay. Wow. So meanwhile, jumping in. Uh, speaking of that, we're watching uh, after uh, Hans is trying to. Con- it's interesting watching the power dynamic here because obviously Hans is not in, tr- in control of Carl. Right. Carl is the big loose blonde murder machine uh, cannon that's yes. uh, rolling around. He's giving. <laughs> giving fritz the idea to go go tell carl and make sure that he gets down there it's not a tightly knit organization these guys are rather than a team it seems like there are a lot of lone wolves right and you know everything we see of of hans gruber he's so sort of measured and so precise all the time it's hard to believe that he would put up with people like this in his crew yeah you know you would think that uh uh that he would want just a bunch of you know sort of laconic and uh and quiet little hans gruber's uh doing his precise bidding yeah but uh his he's his, min- I, his minions refuse to be minions that's the right. problem but i guess you know when you're shopping for for uh criminals sort of posing as terrorists there's only so much you can do i have to notice one thing here i think his suits changed because i mean he was talking about having this you know mythical john phillips of uh london that that's very poor tailoring on his uh, the the way the uh, sleeves are sewn into his uh, uh, his shoulder uh, shoulder pads. There, it just seems to be very poor ah, sure. sewing uh, workmanship. And of course, he's not sitting on the the uh, on the tail of the suit like they like they teach you in news anchor school. Yes, to uh, to pull the jacket down. <laughs> yes, get that Ron Burgundy that's look. Right, which I learned from uh, from the movie Broadcast News. Ah, okay. Glenn. Great Which, Albert uh, Brooks film. Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite movie lines of all time is, meet me at that place by that thing where we went that time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Holly Hunter just knows exactly yeah. what he's talking about. Ah, wow. And there is not a, yet a broadcast news minute, so anybody thinking about it, jump on it. It's now's the time. You're here. Uh, uh, so we're looking at, we, we get we get back to this uh, magnificent MacGyver moment of... Uh, Somehow John McClane can be supported by the aging canvas strap on right. a uh, on an automatic weapon. Which and is... that strap seems surprisingly long. Yes, I mean yes. I know it would it would be doubled over, and then you know then in a in a sort of half circle shape as it it would normally connect to two points on the uh, his his pseudo MP5 there, but it just seems like it goes on forever. Yeah, yeah, it just, I mean, it's it's enough to at least get to the next floor. Right. So he's... Uh, Him or his stunt double. His stunt double with us. Right. Yeah, his stunt double has this surprisingly uh, non-receding hairline and, and really thick yes. hair. Yes, so. yes, I think we decided earlier he has a proceeding hairline. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes it's, grow, it's growing back the other way. It's just come, right. come back around uh, like a paternoster. So the... Uh, <laughs> if you will. If you will. Right. So uh, we're we're watching him climb down what what is obviously a a large uh, 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 force perspective painting of, of a bottomless pit. Um, nicely done though, as as these things are. I mean, I've I've seen worse worse made. Uh, there are worse ones in Star Star Wars. Sure, uh, but uh, it's it's obviously he's about three feet off the ground there. Uh, I was I was positing the idea that the camera may be upside down. 
and he's actually like leaning against the floor portion of when, when he's on his knees climbing down the side he's actually doing a, a batman and robin thing climbing <laughs> climbing down the wall which is actually a floor um but he does do that thing where his uh his legs kind of splay out so that that would have me tend to believe that it is it is actually being shot from above Albeit. Interesting, and then when we see the close-up uh, right at the end of this minute of when it's uh, when it is Bruce Willis, at least I'm pretty sure we see enough of it to know that it's Willis, don't we? Yeah, I, th- I think. And you know, so what do we think is happening there? He's just, uh, as you said, a couple of feet off the ground. Or, yeah, and, if that, he's just a little well, a little ways above the. Uh, so, <laughs> could have even yeah. possibly be standing on a chair and squatting. That's true. Yeah, because so, we just sort of. Uh, wriggling down yeah and he's uh yeah right right at the very the very edge of it all yeah it's i mean it it, this is it only has to be shown for five seconds and you're when you're watching this in a movie theater you're not you're not doing it like we are on a vcr uh, situation right so we're when you're watching this movie you're not watching it you know when you're watching it in a theater you're not poking it apart as as is our want (laughs) so it's it's not that bad a thing when you're seeing a forced perspective for five seconds or so no no it really does look Perfectly fine, perfectly believable, and you know you wouldn't you wouldn't give it a second thought in the theater. I don't think. Yeah, and certainly yeah. not back in 1988. No, no, and, know, and nowadays whatever. nowadays all they do is decide on how it will look on freeze frame. So this would probably be digitally added. Right. There might even be like falling pieces of uh, insulation going down the shaft into the yeah, di- just distance. to suggest that continuous uh, height and everything. Yeah. Maybe a fire at the bottom, yeah, to make it more dangerous. Continuous fire and, and right. people people running back and forth. It's kind of like a time tunnel, or you know, well, that was sixties, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, just just a lot of action. Um, one thing I do enjoy is Carl's magnificent motion there of uh, reaching over his shoulder, you know, doing the backward stretch and gri- gripping the, right. the walkie-talkie and and snapping it off. That really was uh, an interesting sort of choice of blocking, but it it makes sense because. He is not taking his eyes off that little gray door. Yeah, because he, you know, he he knows what's on the other side. He wants to go through, uh, and he knows, you know, McLean could conceivably come back through there. So it, it's funny. It's an it's an awkward move, but uh, yeah, but yeah. It, it makes sense. He wouldn't stop and say, "Oh, excuse me, can I have that? I'm going to turn it off." He wouldn't t- turn his back to the door or anything. Yeah, no. He's he's, he's mad and uh, he's driven. He's obsessed. He's going to do this. Yeah, and he's no. He knows he's up against somebody who's already killed people, including right. you know his brother. Yes. So uh, he's he's ready to roll. Keeping that keeping that uh, muzzle trained on the door too. And uh, and we're finishing the last couple of seconds. We're just watching McLean hanging by a not a thread, but <laughs> several, not not that many more threads. That incredibly thin strap. I don't know what I, I can't imagine what the give weight is on that. Yeah, I would. Uh, you know, we said canvas at one point. I would I would think at this point it'd be more that uh, be more the nylon by by the yeah eighties. Yeah, probably yeah probably but, a nylon strap. But and that is usually held in by. Uh, by like a screwed in teeth, I think, you know, like, like the way you'd have on a belt buckle. So, uh, yeah. uh, I'm not sure where on the MP5 it's connected, but it's just those very little pins on the, on the, on the muzzle. And then there's one on the back stock. So it's a uh, right. kind of so, a. And yet McLean has connected it somewhere to the middle. Yeah. Uh, the middle of the gun, right? Cause obviously going to yeah. the other end wouldn't. Yeah. Work. He's going to the center of gravity there. So it's, uh, he's just applying a lot of pressure. It's amazing how, how sturdy those muzzles are. I'm trying to remember if he if he fires this in a later minute, but he really is putting a lot of bend on that. Uh, he really is. On that tight. I'd love to see what the bullet would do after this. <laughs> it sort of just falls to the floor right out the end of the gun. Wow! Well, and uh, lucky for him, all the uh, 
all the louvers are pointing downward. It's nothing, nothing to catch, no ledges to catch on his arms. He's bleeding right. enough as it is. Although you do see him uh, at some point in this scene. There's, uh, there's the little metal flanges uh, at the seams. Right there at second 46, he's kind of banging his elbow on one of them and bending it a little bit. Yeah. I think it's bending. Maybe it's not bending. Maybe it's just, maybe that's just an illusion. Well, yeah, but, yeah, uh, it is. But sheet metal itself, I mean, all that, yeah, all that stuff a, that's in there, you can, you can just pretty much warp it with your hand. Right. Yeah. And yet it can still hold up a 200-pound guy in a, in a ceiling. So go figure. <laughs> exactly. Well, like we discussed earlier on the HVAC Minute. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, well, we discovered that their biggest, the HVAC industry's biggest complaint with this and any movie are the fact that, uh, that these... Uh, Ducks and things are are capable of supporting full size people. Yeah, and no screws. No, they're, you know, they're th- these are all like seamlessly uh, uh, flush. Everything, right. <laughs> everything's countersunk from the inside. But generally, this was a, a good minute, and we're leaving it literally. Well, not literally, but a, a, not a cliffhanger, but a uh, just a hanger, <laughs> a vent <laughs> yes, hanger. Yes, it's, um, it's almost a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, but uh, bad bad times, obviously. And uh, he's a long way from the end of this film, so here we are. You know, some, somewhere. Almost about we're about a week away from the from the midpoint, and uh, yeah, he's, he's got a obviously a long way to go, and looks like most of it's down. Most of it is down. Wow. You know, uh, quickly as we as we wrap up, uh, we had talked at, uh, at some point earlier about uh, this uh, the movie basically being a first person shooter come to life. Yes. I had forgotten, but there was act there was a game uh, um, about fifteen years ago, so kind of halfway back to the original. Uh, time of the release of the film so about 2002 there was a diehard nakatomi plaza uh shooter for uh, uh for windows it was do a pc you, game do you get to be mclean or you get to be carl that's a um it looks like you uh you get to be mclean and um it's it follows the plot of the film pretty much word for word although there have been there are some additions and things like that and uh, reginald vel johnson came back to uh, do the voice of al powell <laughs> So, oh, now I want I want Reginald to call me pal. Exactly, partner, partner, <laughs> yeah, partner. Yeah, uh. yeah, yeah. I want to get together at Christmas and have our kids play together. Yes, Roy, come over for a barbecue. Roy, call me Roy. Roy. Uh, wow. Well, this has been a good uh, first first outing for for Team Rocketeer. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. This has been a fun fun week. But we will, we will be back in uh, the early or the late winter, early springtime here on the on the second half. Uh, for if you haven't figured out how this works, we, we have thirteen people, uh, thirteen teams of people coming uh, in. We do the first half of the movie, and then uh, the thirteen people get uh, thirteen groups m- get mixed up, and uh, we do the second half of the movie. So we will we will return sometime in the not too distant future. The maximum maximum you're going to have to wait for us is another thirteen weeks. But uh, but we shall return here and uh, watch the continuing adventures, misadventures. I don't know where <laughs> the continuing drama that's going on in Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, if you would like to listen to more of us chatting away uh, maniacally over a movie that we love, uh, check us out on the Rocketeer Minute, where we have 109 completed episodes of uh, some of the best uh, podcasting uh, podcastery. Is that the word? I, <laughs> chatting about stuff. Um, I was going to say podcastification, but that, that's, uh, that's yeah. just me being pretentious. That No, it sounds good. It's never pretentious if you're saying it, Hal. It just sounds warm <laughs> and uh, inviting. Uh, but we, we talk for 109 minutes. Well, actually, 109 episodes, one minute at a time for maybe 30 minutes on each one. So we can, we can binge your way across the world if you want to uh, download all 109 minutes on iTunes or Google Play. Look for Rocketeer Minute. You can find us at the big site, rocketeerminute.com. Uh, for 
uh, those of you who would like to hear some more of uh, Die Hard Minute, it's always available at the big show, dieHardMinute.com. You can find us as well on iTunes and Google Play or one of your favorite uh, podcast uh, uh, broadcasters. Um, tune in all those other all those other ones. Uh, find us on Facebook at uh, Die Hard Minute. You can find us on uh, not Facebook. Not, you can find us on Twitter at Die Hard Minute. You can find us on Facebook at the uh, Die Hard with a Podcast Listeners Limo. Everybody gets together and chats about that. I mentioned it earlier. Um, but uh, join us back here next week. A brand new team coming, and uh, we will be back within the next 13 weeks. So uh, until then, uh, yippee ki and all that. Merry Christmas. Tell me you got that. I got it. I got it. Hit your heart on Channel 5.